0: Good morning, everybody. Welcome to another episode of MC Fireside Chats. My name is Brian Searle with Insider Perks here, as always, with Kara Brodegang from the Canadian Camping and RV Council. We've got two special guests with us today, Mr. Jeff Kirkman. I'm going to let him introduce himself in a second, as well as Mike Harrison from Contemporary Reserves and Residences. And we might have someone else join us in a few minutes if they can get their video camera working. We'll see how that works out. Uh, But really excited to be with you here today talking about developing an RV park, some of the tips and tricks these gentlemen have learned over the course of their careers. Uh, And then uh, remember, if you want to join in the the chat, if you're watching us on a Facebook page, you can put that in the comments. We can bring you on here. Uh, My dog's joining in the background. She's already got stuff to say. Uh, And then, of course, we're on a podcast as well on Google, Spotify, all those kinds of places, iTunes. So if you want to catch us later, you can. Uh, So, gentlemen, do you want to introduce yourself? Jeff, do you want to start?
1: Sure. Yeah, my name is Jeff Berkman. I'm in Squamish, B.C. I had an RV park for 13 years here in this town. We just recently sold it. Um, I've been in the civil construction industry my whole adult life, and that's sort of how I got into that. wanted to have a campground, and we built it from scratch. Cleaned trees, sewer and water in everything electrical. So so now I just uh, consult a little bit in the industry and just love the industry. That's why I stay in it. I think it's one of the best
0: ones that I could ever have found. Well, I know there's a lot of consulting that is necessary in this industry, especially with the expansions of the last really four or five years. But it's been accelerated because of COVID. So, super excited to, to contribute. Bike uh, from Contemporary.
2: Sure. Uh, my name is Mike Harrison from CRR. I'm the Vice President of Operations. Uh, I have a primarily hospitality background in the hotel and restaurant business for 30 years, and then just uh, dove into the uh, uh, RV business head first. Uh, our company has uh, multiple business entities, including RV storage facilities, manuf- manufactured home neighborhoods, and then we're developing several luxury upscale resorts. And similar to Jeff, I love the hospitality business, but uh, the RV resort businesses allow me to tickle my personal outdoor passion. So you know, one of my favorite things is hopping in the golf cart and riding around while I talk to the managers. That way, I can check out the park and you know talk to guests at the same time.
0: So here's my question. Why do we not have themed RV resorts yet? So I've been, like, I traveled the country when I was starting Insider Perks, right? And I went to all these unique hotels that were themed. There's this super cool hotel in Overland Park, Kansas. No idea why it's in that town of all places. Uh, but it's like a romantic bed and breakfast or whatever that has different, like, 12 different themed rooms, like Camelot, and, like a pirate ship mounted in the middle. Of the- How come we don't have RV resorts that are themed like this? Like, I know we have yogis and some things like that, but I feel like there's, there's a lot of room for some ingenuity here.
2: I think it's coming. Go ahead, Karen. Yeah,
3: Yeah, I was was just going to say the same thing, Mike. I think it's coming. I think you're going to start to see uh, some pretty diversified stuff, especially as we see, you know, some of the hotel businesses and things like that starting to transition over into uh, RV parks and resorts. Um, You know, I think there's definitely appetite from consumers for that unique experience style camping. So, yeah, I think it's coming. I think just it's early days. I think,
1: I think you'll start to see some more. That's what you you mentioned the Yogi's and there's a lot of those in the U S but they're, they're very few and far between here in Canada, even the KOAs they're not as many, but I think you'll start to see more change where people start to sort of solidify that what they want to bring and, and those parks sort of actually they have a theme they're not you know quite what those what the hotels that you're mentioning but they do it gives a set standard of quality like KOA's always had that and you'll see that with the other theme parks too so I think you'll start to see that.
2: yeah and I don't know that it's going to go so much towards thematic as more experiential you know mm-hmm. as you see some of the you know under canvas or the auto camp you know you know much more yeah. heavily glamping and you know outdoor experiential you know I think is is clearly where the industry is heading uh, and that's what people want and I think part of part of it is if you look at any RV resorts demographics, it's so diversified now you know we're you know historically I think it was fifty five plus and now you know I mean I was looking at our analytics page the other day, Brian, and literally I think every segment is ten percent uh, wow it's it's, it's crazy um,
3: yeah yeah
0: it's yeah I'm looking forward to what happens in this industry I'll tell you like. 10, 20, 30 years, it's going to be amazing.
3: Yeah, couldn't agree more. It's going to be, it's an interesting time for this industry, for sure. Um, So specific to developing a park, I'm interested to hear, um, I I got a couple of questions last week, actually, from a group that is looking to do just that. They've purchased three properties in Alberta and they're bare land and um, are kind of diving into the, permitting process and and a couple of I think one of the properties needs to be rezoned and things like that um I don't know if maybe Jeff this is a good question for you in your civil uh, uh, background but um what is that that hurdle like to that that first set of hurdles like to jump and and you know can you give us any It's
1: It's frustrating and can be long, but the biggest tip is just stick with it. Like you have Mm -hmm. to grind it out. Sometimes dealing in municipal, sometimes municipalities are really um, helpful. Our, my town was, um, but I had more provincial issues that I had to deal with, which Mm -hmm. really took a long time, but um, stick with it and Get it get engineer, spend the money in the beginning, spend the money on the engineering and the drawings and get it done right because it just comes back to haunt you later. If you try to cut corners in the very beginning, those corners are always, you're tripping over them for the rest of the job. You have to start right, you know, it's just like building a house on a foundation, level foundation and then just keep going up from there. So that's my biggest advice, stick with it and then do the early work and the paperwork and the engineering early.
2: You know it's it's funny you say that jeff because i was you know we have now uh five resorts in development but also multiple you know rv storage facilities etc but you know i I came into it after the first two were kind of one was already built and then the other two were in development then we have three more um and you know that's the discussion i've had with our our general contractors also our our partner um Mm -hmm. but you can tell the level that we paid for our architect you know, the quality goes up significantly, the response wow. goes up significantly. And, you know, the second part that's currently in development, like I'm having to check, you know, I found a site count error. We had two site 151s. Oh, and then we had a drainage error. So we had the wrong sites that were different than the Performa. The site count was wrong versus the one that we're using for our one in Coachella. You know, it's the, the, the you know, renderings are done in a day right it's yeah. questions it's just so much yeah yeah you're of course you're paying you know 50 or 100 bucks more an hour but you know your time that you're spending on the back end is, is significantly earned
1: and and i would also recommend sorry i'll just before you step in, um, yeah. if you get an engineering company and they haven't done RV parks or campgrounds before then you'll want to team up with either a consultant or an architect, someone that has, because otherwise you'll end up getting a parking lot or a square. Even the engineering company we used in the beginning, it was like, that's not going to work. We're going to have to soften that up. So just get someone
0: that knows the, what they're doing for. One of the most that's fascinating what... things that, that I've learned and sorry, Kara, I didn't mean to. No, that, please. But, it's um, all good. Is that time, like everybody says time is money, right? But it couldn't mm-hmm. be more true as we learn more things about this industry. I mean, I came at it, into it, you know, 10 plus years ago from a marketing aspect. And, and I knew that that time was money and stuff like that. But as, as I learn more about development and all the intricacies and the amenities and the contractors, it's like it, it, it's across the spectrum. I mean, we had a, a, a KOA owner, I remember in Austin, Texas, who six years it took him to get the permits to open his park. And I was reading this morning, I think it was in Woodall's, there was a guy who spent five years and finally got his approval for a 30-foot site campground, which is great. It's amazing that you're able to fulfill your dream, but I wonder how much of that could have been expedited or not. Obviously, it's very location-dependent. but
2: Definitely, if you have experts on the front end. I'm sorry, Kara, go ahead.
3: Oh, I'm sorry. I apologize. I was just going to say the same thing. I think hiring those experts and working with those teams actually helps with those those processes. And, And it's also, frankly, a great benefit often of membership in your association because they can connect you either with those professionals or directly with those county uh, uh, offices that that need to help you uh, get those permits and stuff through. But um, I do find that there's a limit or or a lack of... representation for consultants like jeff is talking about um and professionals specific to this industry who have that really um focused experience on rv parks and campgrounds i don't know obviously i'm i am ass- i am assuming that it's much better and, and there's better representation for that in the states but there's definitely a lack of it here so that that association membership does help so that we can you know connect campground owners with there
0: are some people down here in the states, uh, like Joe Moore's one in Texas. Um, yeah. Horizon Group is a is a bigger company that's got a whole breadth of advice. So there's a couple other ones, but it's still yeah. there's there's a lack of that resource down here too. I think, especially mm-hmm. permitting and government regulations, because that's such a you have to take such a deep dive into that and get to know your local laws and regulations and all
2: those kind yeah. of things. Yeah, Hi, that is discouragement. Hi Jeff, <laughs> Jeff and it's a big difference
1: because I've done a lot of stuff in the states um, yeah. like I, Joe Moore's a very good friend of mine and but just the laws everything is so different so, different. Up to cabinet, cabinet so cabinet, we cabinet.
2: we have found a local specialist in all the markets that we've been in um, mm-hmm. a because you know we just don't want the perception that you know corporate America's coming into the local you know yeah. and they just have a relationship you know with the folks that you know yep absolutely the authorized permitting or the special laws and same thing with connecting us with legal folks Mm -hmm. um so that's something that we've really found is is finding a local expert who's got those pre-existing relationships um, and that's helped us you know quite a bit
3: yeah i i can imagine definitely
0: so to the people who let's, let's make this kind of an education piece, right? Cause this, cause it's definitely will have, like, we see some people watching us on Facebook live. A lot of our views come afterwards and it's, it's going to have legs for a long time. I feel like on our website and other places like that. So let's, let's start this from a developing standpoint. We've talked about permitting briefly. What does it take for the people who are interested in doing this or just getting started or expanding? What does it take to get from, I want to build an RV park to first shovel in the ground. Um,
1: and I know a year, a year to 18 months, and, and a little bit of cash, you need a little cash to carry you through to get those drawings yeah. done, to get that engineering done, so you need a little startup cash to get mm-hmm. started for sure, and realistically, we we're probably almost $100,000 into it before we put the first shovel in the ground, but then, mm-hmm. but then, like I said, we put all the money up front to get it going, and then once we started, then it was no looking back.
0: Now that's so and that's hundred thousand dollars after the land purchase, right? Or included? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. No, that was after. Yeah.
3: But if
1: you can find a hundred thousand yeah. dollar land purchase here, you let me know, and I'll. Right. Yeah.
3: It. Okay. I get in on that too. Yeah. Hook yeah. me up. It's
2: a, f- a five-acre park. <laughs> yeah. And,
1: and another thing that I didn't mention too is is you need to join your associations, the Canadian Association, mm-hmm. wherever the provincial or the national one. Get involved because that is a huge resource. And, I've been involved in them since, since before we started building the park. We started. Yeah. Dealing I them.
3: think even just the ability to network with other operators is mm-hmm. even if you're not even, you know, utilizing that, uh, the association relationship with you, with your municipality or whatever, the, the, Uh, ability to connect with other operators and and not just near you but feedback from folks you know in a broad range of of demographics and regions is really 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 valuable um i can't you know express it enough you know you see uh in all these uh facebook groups and things like that folks are asking questions specific to this stuff all the time um owners are incredibly supportive of each other it's Mm -hmm. one of the things i love most about this industry is they ter- certainly don't treat each other like competitors the way no. most industries do.
2: That's true. Coming from the hotel business, you know everything's a secret, proprietary, you know, specialized. Mm-hmm. And here, people are much more open. You know, owners as well as guests. You know, it's it's a much more friendly, you know, spirit, spiritual, you know, kind of industry. Um, but I, I would yeah. say, you know, yeah, I totally way, agree. Yeah. But but I would say do, do your research. Um, you know, it's it's okay to have money. It's okay to find a piece of land. But every place is different. Not just legal and municipality, you know, code and laws and all that. But you know, what you may do in you know one locale may be completely different and fail utterly at another one. You know, got to understand what your market is, what amenity set you want to have, what kind of sites you want to build. You know, uh, and the civil engineering as as as. Jeff had mentioned, you know, understanding kind of what your local nature, you know, climate conditions are like. I mean, all of that is super important so that you're not fixing it kind of on the back end after you open. Uh, mm-hmm. which unfortunately, you know, we 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 learned as we went a little bit, um, yeah. you know, and made some some adaptations, you know, as we went forward.
3: Sometimes that's the best way to learn is mess things up a little bit for sure. Yeah,
1: <laughs> yeah we built um, our fucking three phases. And each phase was a little different. And you know, you learn from that one and everything was just a little different as we got to the end.
0: Yeah. The benefits though that we're talking about, right? Like bring in the experts that can help you with, whether it's marketing or development or construction or feasibility studies or financing or local lobbying or whatever you need to do, right? Because those people have done it before. And so you can do it <laughs> without them. You can do all the research, but you're gonna go through those stumbling blocks that other people have already gone through. So don't be afraid to ask for that advice, even if it's not hiring a consultant, because maybe you don't have the budget for that because of what you're building or where you're coming from or what your background is. But
3: Mm -hmm. get in a Facebook
0: group and talk to other owners. And, um, you know, if if you want to become a KOA, like take all their expertise or again, joining your association, like, but there's tons and tons of resources out there. There's no need to struggle Mm
2: -hmm. on your own
3: yeah, exactly. one, of, one of the things what
2: I did when I started was we had one of the major influencers stay at our resort, so I had reached out back to them after they stayed, and we had three separate calls. He spent an hour with me each time, um, and I kind of picked their brain about, you know, um, what is the most important thing to a customer right now? you know Is it the clubhouse? and you know because we spent I don't even want to tell you how much we spent in our clubhouse um uh but we didn't really need to right and you know we've adjusted our spend you know for what matters and then we compared that you know to the Arvix, you know uh you know annual report um and what he's saying in the Arvix annual report basically lined up right and so we adjusted our spending um you know to hit those top you know amenity requests those top you know items that were important to the guest um you know so we we kind of just made sure that we you know check those boxes off um, and, you know, to your point, I didn't spend any money on consultants, um, yep. but, I, but I, I did spend time, you know, talking to folks.
3: Sure. <laughs> well, and again, that speaks to another great benefit of membership with your association is the access to that kind of data. Um, you know, that stuff is included with your membership and you can really utilize that to make some significant business decisions for sure.
0: Here's a a question for you gentlemen, like obviously you're talking about the ARVIC report, KOA does their North American Camping Report, there's lots of data out there that you can study as far as just like what you're saying, what guests want. But how do you balance that or is there not a need to balance that with something like you look at Apple, right, when they invented the iPhone, nobody knew they wanted an iPhone with a touch screen and an app store and all that kind of stuff, right? Is there a market for that where certain RV parks or destinations or resorts are Inventing things that are going to percent might be wildly successful. The consumer doesn't know they want yet.
2: Mm-hmm. So I think um, if you look at AutoCamp, right, their their model is really kind of bringing like a five star experience where they have a clubhouse with an upscale restaurant with the airstream, yeah. right? Our our vision statement for CRR is evolving the industry to the modern world because when we when we came into this space, we felt, with all respect to all of our fellow RV park owners and managers. Um, that the industry is 10, 15 years behind the hotel business, just in terms of sophistication and, and delivery. And so we're trying to, to do things that are innovative for the RV world. You know, so for example, we saw a clear need, you know, if you look at your, your guests, at least 35, 40% of them have a pet of some kind. Most of them have a dog. Um, and if you go to any RV resort, I mean, it's a little dog run, if they even have a dog run, that's like, you know, 10 by 10 um so we said well you know what if we built a 7,000 square foot dog park um you know would that be something that would appeal towards towards guests and that we put that in all of our resorts you know we Mm -hmm. call it canine corner and now you can pay for a special canine corner site that's upgraded um that has you know a doggy uh goodie bag um and those kinds of things and you know do we know if that's going to be the next coming of, of every RV resort in the world? Not yet, <laughs> um, but you know we wanted to try something different. Um, to your point, Brian, of of you know it's not Grandma and Sally Joe's you know RV park from 25 years ago anymore, and it can't be as it becomes mm-hmm. more you know experiential.
3: Yeah, well, and as your demographics are shifting, like you mentioned earlier, mm-hmm. Mike, I think your market wants different things because they just have different interests. They have different expectations of what their vacation or their trip is going to look like and so you know staying on top of that stuff and, and paying attention to it is incredibly valuable especially as you're building the park i mean i think certainly as your park ages you know it's valuable to address that stuff too but if you're in the scenario where you're just starting out you have kind of this massive opportunity opportunity uh to be really unique and and uh yeah, it's, I mean, it would be so exciting. I mean, yeah, I would love that.
0: <laughs> so we have Angela on now. Angela, uh, or Angela uh, works for me. Uh, she's my partner. Hi, Uh We hey. do marketing for, uh, actually, Mike Sparks, which is part of the reason that uh, that Angela is on here. And so later in our conversation, Mike, is we're going to progress through this development, right? And we're going to, now we've talked about getting to the shovel ground, and we're going to talk about other things. But when we get to the marketing aspect, I want Angela to talk a little bit about what she's done for you guys from a ground-up perspective, So and just kind of some of those things you might want to consider from that aspect. But otherwise, feel free to jump in anytime you want, Angela. uh, Mm -hmm.
4: Okay, thanks, Uh, guys.
0: So we're on. We've got to the shovel part now. Uh, What are some of the things that people who are interested again, come sticking with our team, developing a park, researching all those kinds of things? You've got to the shovel in the ground. Now, what are you instructing the contractors to do? What are you making sure can't be overlooked?
3: Hmm. I'll say. Oh, sorry, Jeff, I was was just going to say, I, I didn't personally uh, build a park, but we did do some expansion projects um, and, and add sites and things like that. So maybe similar uh, experience there. So um, I would say the, and again, I also didn't hire a contractor. We, we kind of did all of our stuff in house with our own staff and and had, actually my ex-husband who had tons of construction experience and and those things uh, was really valuable. But um, I would say it's it's always, it was surprising to me um, the amount of work that needed to go in underground (laughs) before anything, you know, visible or valuable was happening um, um, there. So I think, again, same same as before the experts and and relying on folks to really know um the the codes electrical codes uh expectations for how your uh sewer and water uh systems specifically need to work uh specifically around things like environmental regulatory expectations and stuff like that in your municipality those stu- those things are really big uh for right after shovels shovels go in the ground
1: Exactly. i would say inspections if, if you're if you're not doing it yourself and, and yeah, i did all point myself then then you need to have someone and again that's either not usually a consult but usually your engineer needs to show up and start doing inspections and just make it very clear it, it, for me as a contractor working as a contractor before you don't always want to hire the cheapest lowest bid i know i know money is hard and it's hard to get but you do actually get what you pay for. So you need to really run down and see who, what contractors you're hiring and, and what, if they've done any campground experience. And mm-hmm. it just really needs to be clear, like like you have to do it right. You can't cut the corners because if you cut the corners, it'll trip you up later on, especially sewer and water. That's, to yeah. go back into a road once you're open and it it never happens in the winter when you're closed. It only yep. happens in July long weekend, August long weekend, you bring in mm-hmm. you're bringing an excavator and you up the road. And that's not a good experience for anybody so no nope. just take the time no yeah. and do it and do it right spend the money and do it right
2: and i would say two other things to look at you know one is decide ahead of time how you want to build your internet infrastructure internet and tv um yeah. because with the way technology is evolving right now you know you could spend three four five six seven eight hundred thousand depending on how big your park is and wiring and cable and conduit you know if you go to a traditional you know, network, mesh network system. But some of these satellite systems now, you know, you can save significant hundreds of thousands of dollars by pulling in fiber and using microwave tires, towers, uh, Mm -hmm. for example. Uh, And then the second thing, especially in today's day and age is check your budget every month, because, you know, we are looking at, you know, electric per site in terms of, you know, conduit installation you know, if you go back a year and a half, it's 350 a site. Now it's like 850 a site and going up Mm -hmm. right with the, with the way everything is today and materials and and shortages and, and you know, you know, make sure the budget that you drafted a year ago is the same as it is today. Otherwise, Mm -hmm. you know, it's, it's going to escalate pretty quickly. Absolutely.
3: Yeah. Great points. Great points.
2: I'd
0: like to have unlimited money to just build a park so I can just be as creative as possible. I remember, yep. I remember reading, I don't know. Wouldn't. This <laughs> no, to be like creative, right? To just do whatever you want to do and like blow people away with like, you know, like the Dallas when they were building the Cowboys stadium down there, right? They spent like a billion plus dollars. There's better stadiums than that now. But um, I remember like, I don't know, 10, 15 years ago when, when we were first hearing about the scaling up of solar and they were really starting to innovate those solar panels and the roofs were coming out and stuff like that. There was a vendor I can't remember where I saw them but they were building streets in a city in Idaho I think that were totally like the panels on the instead of asphalt the, the whole street was a solar panel, solar energy and then on the side there was a, a, a like all the way running down the road there was a, a I don't know like a path or a pit or whatever uh, aqueduct or venting or whatever you call it I don't know I'm not a road guy but you could lift it up and you could run, they ran all the cables through there. And so they could, they could go in and without busting up the Service asphalt, everything they could re, yeah, re, you know, change out the cables or add new ones or modify or stuff like that. So, I mean, I'm not saying that's feasible in an RV park today or may never be, but it nice. would be interesting to just think outside the box with funds like that.
3: The complex <laughs> thing about that dynamic, Brian, is you can spend a billion dollars on your campground now, but then five years from now, <laughs> There's going to be fancy new things to right. mm-hmm. re-add and but that's right. Everything, so right, I
0: mean that's Dallas yeah. Cowboys Stadium. It's outdated now. and They spent a true. million dollars on it.
1: So. Look, look at the evolution of the campground washrooms in the last, yeah. you know, 15 years. Right, cinder block building. Nobody ever wanted to go in them. It was a nightmare. And now, you know, even ours when we built ours 13, 14 years ago, it was tile floors, tile heated floors, tile. Yeah up the size of the building like and now they're now they're just beautiful like you look at some of them online on, on the facebook post and it's like wow that, that's they went crazy with the bathrooms and and it pays people, learn. people learn. last
3: year we had a rv park in alberta one out uh, canada's best bathroom an rv park mm-hmm. so they're definitely stepping up their game around here yeah. for sure
0: cool. yeah we had i mean and it's just like, you know, when you were a kid, right? My mom would drive twenty miles out of the way to go to the gas station. She knew had the super clean bathroom, right? It's yeah, the same right. thing with hotels or RV parks or anywhere you're going. There's a there's a demand for that. And we had a I remember we had a KOA uh, down near Austin, too. I mentioned near Austin. So a guy, but super small campground just right on the Colorado River. I think they had forty or fifty sites, they don't own it anymore. So they had this huge, massive luxury Texas style bathroom that was mm-hmm. just marble inside and man, people would talk about that and share it on social media and do a yeah. Ton of attention for them, so.
3: so, yeah, I think that's my point is just like, you could spend all the money, but sometimes those, those standby really valuable things are, are the basics, right? Really investing money where in those basics is incredibly valuable, I think.
0: That's fair. Okay. And I don't know. I mean, I again, I'm, I'm a marketer. I have no idea what I'm doing. I'm, I'm yeah, build. man,
3: build your solar roads. Can't wait to see it.
0: <laughs> I'm just creating a conversation here. We're just talking yeah.
3: about but, I mean, solar. Me <laughs> too. Like, solar is not
0: going to evolve. Like, a solar is going to last you 30, 40, 50 years. And the, the yeah. point was, is if you have that trench,
3: mm-hmm. totally.
0: Because we were talking about cable and satellite and wires. Yeah. And along, so.
3: It's it's if doing could... things in those unique or, or smart ways to, to make them more um easily serviced and and stuff that stuff makes total sense to me
4: to Mike's point too, with um, evaluate reevaluating your budget consistently and stuff like that too I think uh, prioritizing like obviously there are must-do things that you just like there's no way around it if you want to open you have to do it and you have to do it at certain stages of development too and so I think Mm making sure you have your priority list and then you have your wish list and how that fits in and like what you could put into, I'd really like to have that when we open, but maybe that needs to be phase two or phase three Um, and making sure too, like extravagant um, amenities are great, but you know, like Kara was saying, the the basics and making them really nice also, you know, you're going to Mm -hmm. see a huge return on those and you have to make sure that you can add anything that you want, but you have to make sure that people are still gonna be willing to pay for yeah. that to make that investment worth it too. So, you know, solar whatever at a campground is great and cool and a lot of people will pay for that, but a lot of people won't. And so factoring that into what you have to charge for your site, um, being conscious of that, I think is important.
3: Yeah, I get it. To be fair, if he has the, a billion dollars to build the right, campground, I mean, he doesn't right? care if like, <laughs> people pay. <laughs> pay the rate. Come stay for free. True. This, this is true.
0: The world of a limited bank budget, right? You're not gonna justify that.
3: Yeah. Uh, but it's a cool <laughs> idea. <laughs> right.
0: All right. So we talked about, uh, you know, what you're what you're going to watch over with the contractors and the engineers and things like that. Uh, at, at what point or are, are there are there stages throughout the breaking ground to opening, where you periodically reevaluate, where you take a higher level view and say, Oh no, stop. We need to readjust this and do it differently. Is there stages? Is there phases, or is it just kind of keeps on the ground? We're just going to wait then. I
1: think to it's consciously,
3: every week. Yeah, you have yeah. to consciously schedule repetitive time because it's easy to just dive in and go tunnel vision and, and lose that aerial view, right? Um, I think scheduling that and prioritizing it probably would be one of the most valuable things you could do to undertake a, a project like this, for sure. Um, I, it, w- it would be consistently required. I think you
2: have to be careful though too. Um, because anytime you change something, especially if it's design built, then you've got to get, you know, new drawings, you gotta get repermitted. Mm-hmm. It slows it down. Yeah. And mm-hmm. you know, and we've had those discussions in multiple of our parks because if we miss our window by two months, then that's worth five hundred thousand dollars in revenue. You bet. Right. Yeah. Like if we miss our season window. And so, yes, you wanna to continue to evaluate and you need to understand status state of the union where you are and balance. Mm-hmm you know, man, do I have to make that change or can I come back and do it or, you know, what, um, you know, but yeah, if you put your blinders on and, you know, press go and just wait till it opens, you know, that's a problem too. So it's gotta be finding that right mix, you Mm -hmm. know, understanding kind of where you're at and, you know, do you want to adjust on the fly? Can you adjust on the fly? How much is it gonna cost now versus later, et cetera?
1: Yeah, Yeah. sticking to the plan is important. If you, it's like dropping a a rock in the pond, that ripple, it'll go all the way down and, and, Perfect example for us is we ended up wanting to save a tree where the sewer line was scheduled to go, and just a few weeks in delays in re-engineering that line, and then the water table was up, and we didn't get it in that year. We had to wait till the fall. Mm-hmm. It was just that much, and it's just that ripple just continues on. That was a, you know, that was a twenty-five thousand dollar tree that we could have replaced easily. It wasn't that big, but it's just oh, we'll just go around it. Right. It was a fight. It wasn't my decision. I just lost the decision.
3: <laughs>
0: <laughs> but is that a delay from a permitting governmental regulation process or is that no, engine? but
1: when you start changing and throwing angles into a sewer line, then you need to get it re engineered and then because that's it because you've changed the grade now. So then that changes it all the way down to the other end of the park. So
2: that's what I'm saying. You gotta be careful. You yeah, drawing drawings, If you have yeah. to have something redrawn, I mean you just add two, three months sometimes, because mm-hmm. you got to have it drawn and sometimes re-permitted, re I mean, so it just messes it up. Um, so that goes back to just point in the beginning, make sure we start right.
3: Yeah.
2: <laughs> you know, and you can't predict everything, right? Yeah. But, but you know, you know hopefully you've got enough that, that you're doing the right thing so you don't have to make changes.
1: And one thing we didn't mention is when that first shovel goes on the ground, that's when you come in, Brian, that's when marketing starts. You want to start your marketing early and get Great people point, knowing Jeff. about your park. The, the last thing, I mean, when you first opened that door, we were really delayed with our park. We didn't actually get it open until November. Well, our final power was hooked up. It was wow. like mid November, long weekend actually for Remembrance Day. And mm-hmm. it's a pretty lonely feeling when you're actually open and there's mm-hmm. no customers coming in. Like it's, it's really weird. I took a first, I remember the first one coming in, it was like five days later, but it was mm-hmm. a weird, eerie feeling. You've done it, spent all this money and it's, they're not coming.
0: But right. let's dive into that for a second. Angela and Mike, you guys have been working together for, well, since what, January now or something like that? Um, what, walk us through some of that process it involved from both of your perspectives.
2: you want me to go first?
4: Yeah, that's fine.
2: OK, so I think um, m- marketing to me is probably one of the single most important things you can do at any of these parks. You know, what I found, and, and we've had this discussion before, is there's not an Expedia.com for the RV resort world. There's not, you know, Marriott.com. So there's not one place that everybody goes, there's 25 of them. Um, and so I remember when I first started it at our, you know, home property, um, they had, you know, previous company and previous you know, management had said, hey, we ran out of our budget. And so they turned off Google ads and Facebook ads. And so I said, turn them back on and literally the next day we saw our views triple um and so we have been under that philosophy ever since day one you know as is, is market 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 and specifically with google ads and so we kind of reassessed who we were using um and then made the change to go with rv you know specialists insider perks to help us you know kind of create and understand um uh the industry but you know for, for us we're constantly evolving trying to find the balance of revenue management and top line marketing and analytics with you know not overcomplicating it um, uh, but trying to challenge the status quo of hey here's how everything's always been done um, and, and you know I think a great example is is and, and Angela is it okay if I make fun of Brian for a second oh
4: okay always always okay okay, okay. okay. <laughs> um
2: but a per- but but you know perfect example and, and this has happened twice once where you know i had said something to brian about hey you know what if we went to like a different city you know i, I think it was rv parks near sedona no that's you know that's uh, that you know stay within your your zone you don't have that much bit and then sure enough it's now our number one clicked um uh keyword uh, but then on the flip side um i had said something and brian's like no you know did it and sure enough brian was right um but it's 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 approaching the business i think a little bit differently you know with a hospitality spin i think um you know that helps
0: and yeah. it's ever evolving too like we have to listen to each other i'm just because right. i've been in the rv industry for 10 plus years doesn't mean i know everything i don't and so hearing from somebody who comes like you are from outside the industry and, and says like well let's try this and, and my initial thing is is well that hasn't really worked for the last 10 years that doesn't mean it's not going to work now or for you so
2: yep What about you, Angela? What have you found?
0: Uh, I think it's just it's
4: been a really neat experience to to work with you guys. And really, because you're developing so many different parks that have different landscapes, different regions of the country and that sort of thing. It's been really interesting to kind of build what your overall like corporate brand looks like and how that is implemented across each property, uh, maintaining the continuity across the CRR brand, but also maintaining that individualism of each park. Uh, And it's been really cool to collaborate on that um, and kind of envision what that looks like and, and, you know, design different logos and um, websites and things like that. Um, Yeah. It's been really, it's been a really cool experience. Yeah, but
1: I, I always find sometimes that, like for us, we had a specific target for the RV park and they're all big size for big rigs and we weren't expecting that many families. But over the years, once they find you, I find that the market China changes and shifts and, and we ended up focusing way more on families than we ever thought we would. Like we were changing the playgrounds and doing stuff because it just the industry is growing so fast and changing it like, the families when I was a kid, everybody tented, there was no RVs, we went camping in the rain, and just now there's just just seems to be exploding and, and a lot more RVs showing up with five kids jumping up the back and, and wanting things to do. So, I always find that the market you think you're going in one direction, but it kind of always wants to slip, and that's why Mike is right, you, you kind of have to hit everywhere, you can't just sort of with what you think you know you you have to go everywhere and be everywhere and then and then see where it takes you that's what i find that's
3: another huge benefit to kind of chatting with other operators or hiring you know a consultant or whatever to bring this fresh new perspective because you know it's easy to get or feel like you you have a good grasp of what's happening and and that new set pair of eyes can be so so valuable for sure Mm -hmm. yeah and and well well, and i think
2: go ahead brian well i was going to say i think i think pivoting you know is important i think you know once what we you know we we use the same philosophy in the hotel business you know one size does not fit all just because something works over here at this park does not mean it's going to work over here in this park Mm -hmm. and you know we have two completely different you know destinations. You know where patterns are different. And one's a much more seasonal, long-term type, you know, park. Where the other one's much more transient, and weekend-driven. And the customer and the marketing demand, you know, different. And some of the solutions are still going to be the same. It's still going to be basic, and you still got to tie your shoes. You know, the same mm-hmm. way for every for every resort. But but you know, other ones are going to take different approaches. And I think that to Brian's point, collaboration, you know, is is where it's important. Um, you know, understanding the balance of that.
1: Mm-hmm. and pivot I know it's an overused word lately but it is important you have to be quick on your feet like just going back the last year with this pandemic and a lot of parks did really well everybody wanted to get out and go get out of the city and go camping but a lot didn't and it was because mm-hmm. they've always focused on their marketing This is the way they've done it. They had tunnel vision and they didn't get mm-hmm. we didn't get Americans coming across the border and we didn't get Albertans coming into DC so if you're on that east part of the province and but there's no excuse for that this year. I mean, if, if you didn't work fast enough last year to pick up on that, then that's fine. But but if you if you turn around and have a bad year this year, then, then that's that's on you because you mm-hmm. didn't you didn't look at where you were and what happened and where do we go from here. And that's again, it's marketing everywhere, not mm-hmm. just one and you'd be surprised. Don't just keep doing the same thing. Like you said, you went to that place, Ryan told you not to, and look at it. That's your best mm-hmm. one. So it's, it's hard to get out of the
0: television, but you have to be able to step back. And well, it's a trap that everybody falls into,
3: right? Oh, and yeah. It's very owners. human
0: all business owners. It's like I remember yeah. reading a story about Coca Cola and their board of directors who really didn't push hard into Facebook until 2010 or later, because their board was stuck on, you know, TV commercials and the polar bears and all that kind of stuff has worked for us mm-hmm. in 1970 or 80. And people, are still well, fix solar, it. So why should we change? Right? Yeah, yeah. the mindset that that's is really hard for a lot of people to break out of but mike's right everywhere you can uh and jeff's right too like these demographics are consistently shifting and changing and you need to do your market research and learn and adapt and shift and pivot and all those kinds of things but there are some basics too uh that you need to make sure you're doing and and google ads is one of them right yep Uh, we've seen the last so many years, I mean, pre-COVID, right? I, I would go to all the state conferences in the United States and the national conferences and KOA and uh, Ontario show and et cetera, et cetera. And there were so many classes on millennials. This is changing the demographic. What do you need to do to market millennials? On and on and on. And none of these people were even running Google ads. And so it just kind of fascinated me, not that they were wrong to focus on millennials because they need to learn about that demographic and adjust yeah. and shift. But those millennials and the older people and the kids with family and the families with kids and all the, they're still doing the same thing on Google that they have for the last 20 years. campground mm-hmm. near Phoenix, RV Park near Phoenix, Cabin mm-hmm. Rentals near Phoenix. And so yes. you need to get the basics down before you start. Yes, you need to pay attention to them. But before you start frantically saying, I need to adjust everything to target millennials, think about what you can do that's the same across everybody.
3: Right.
2: Right. That's that's the tie your shoes part, right? Like we still got to get up in the morning and tie our shoes. And sometimes people forget, like I I just never forget that story, you know, and I showed ownership, um, you you know, and that's that's been part of it is educating um, ownership, you know, kind of as as they're they're very flexible and nimble and understanding. But the the analytics data doesn't lie. Right. It can tell a story and you can interpret the story from it. But the data, you know, is really what helps drive our business to understand, you know, where you want to spend your money, where the right money is. And so, you know, we got another three quarters of a million approved and glamping options. Um, you know, and some of the stuff, you know, our 60 plus year old owner is now an expert like, like term in Instagram, right. And understanding Instagrammable moments and Instagramable marketing. And, and, but that's what it has to be that experiential, you know, you want people taking a picture of your stuff and posting it up on social media. Um, you know, and, and now he understands that. And when you can support it with the back end data data, well, that's mm-hmm. when you can get, you know, to spend more money.
3: Absolutely.
0: Yeah, start with the fundamentals, continue to do your research and then adapt and add and change as you move forward, but always make sure you're covering those basic fundamentals. This those aren't gonna change. It's like just like the stock market, chasing the stocks that are up twenty percent for the day and trying to get in at the top. Well that's not the best strategy. You have to do the fundamentals and research those first and then decide to pivot and dust. So.
4: I think it's important too, not just doing the fundamentals, but doing them uh, and doing them consistently. A lot of the fundamentals require you to continue checking in on them. Like you can't just say, Okay, I check, I did Google ads, I don't have to worry about it anymore, set it and forget it. Good point. Or Um, You know, even your social media, like, okay, well, I set up my Facebook page, so that's it. I don't need to do anything else. It exists. Um, And same with your website, too. Just, you know, if you've added new things, make sure your pictures are up to date. Make sure your amenity lists are up to date. Just all of those little things um, can make such a huge impact on, you know, your bookings and people talking and sharing those Instagrammable uh, moments with their friends. And, you know, they'll talk about it for years if you do it
3: right. Awesome.
0: So what are the key factors, Angela, that you would recommend to a a developing part that they need to do for marketing? And You can go into timelines if you want, but just kind of like, here's what you must have before you open.
4: Uh, I think that before you can really start anything else from a marketing branding standpoint is you need to have your name and then you need to design a logo. Um, Mm -hmm. And that will really help to, once you have that logo in place, then you have an idea of colors and you have fonts and, Uh, with your logo, you're kind of describing the initial experience that guests are going to have at your property um, before they've even seen a picture or anything else. So I think um, name and logo are key. Um, And then from there, you wanna make sure that you go and you create your um, social media accounts, you claim your Google listing uh, and you get working on a website. So um, you can get your name out there, people, you know, know that you exist, you start showing up in searches and that sort of thing. Um, Even if it's a simple website before you really have any information, a simple contact us, this is who we are, this is what we hope to bring and, you know, target is spring of 2022 or whatever it is, um, just to give them a little something and then, you know, you can kind of share that development journey with people too, mm-hmm. uh, through your social media channel. Um, and, and then they feel like they've kind of been on it with you. Like, oh, I remember when this was just dirt and you had no bathhouse. And now look at we're camping here and we're enjoying these beautiful amenities. Um, and I think, you know, everybody wants a good story. So um, I would say that those are some of the super key pieces. Um, Google ads are absolutely important, call tracking and those things, but those are things that you want to start um, closer to opening and once you've opened and you've started to generate some revenue and things like that. Um, but there, you know, there's a lot of cheap and relatively free things that you can do just with your social media accounts and claiming listings and stuff like that um, before you really get into the meat of it all.
2: And I think, you know, going back to your point, you know, we shouldn't overlook the importance of choosing a name. Um, I saw a, a post up on the um, um, Arvik Campfire's Facebook page. Somebody had asked that question. Um, Also, and we just went through this with our, you know, our property down in Hardyville, um, you know, about what's the right name to choose. And, you know, it's everything goes back to the online, you know, world these days. I think, you know, you want your your name to be searchable, you know, to be the most important demand generator, you know, should be kind of resonating in your name. Um, But then, you know, we spent there's a company called um, uh, PickFU uh it's it's not you know how it sounds (laughs) um um, but you can spend relatively cheap dollars and you can target demographics that are specific for the region that you're looking for a park um, and they'll conduct market surveys specifically to those purchasers um, and we went through four different rounds to dial in our name and the name that we would have landed on is nothing what the customer was telling us uh, it should be. And what, the, where we ended up, we thought was kind of boring because um, it's similar to one of our other resorts um, but it really, really resonated with the customer. Um, mm-hmm. And so we had to listen to the customer and if we didn't do the research and, and didn't, you know, go through that process, you know, would we have failed? Cause we had a bit no, of course not. Um, but I think it's important, um, to make sure that you have a brand that resonates. So, you know, some, everybody knows what the Starbucks logo looks like, right? You know, so you want to make sure that you start your brand off your property off, you know, with the right name before anything else happens and, and don't just pick it out of the air, make sure you have research and data behind it. Sense.
4: Yeah, All absolutely. Right. And, oh, go ahead, Brian,
0: no, 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 go ahead. If you have, I'm sorry, I didn't oh, I was.
4: No, that's okay. I was just gonna say, um, to keep with the name and logo and things like that, um, keeping your branding consistent across everything. Um, you know, you can do all the things in all the places, but if you have three different logos rolling around with different color schemes and and that mm-hmm. sort of thing, then you have no brand identity. Um, mm-hmm. People might know you exist, but it doesn't. It's not recognizable. Um, especially if you're a developer, there's a lot of larger development groups coming into the industry now. And I think, um, something that we've been doing with CRR is, um, every logo, there's something, there's a consistent theme in the appearance Mm -hmm. of every logo. Um, like they've chosen, there's kind of like three pillars of something, whether it's a tree or something that, uh, fits the landscape that it's in and the font and uh, text sizing and spacing and formatting is the same on all of the logos. Um, And they have a tagline that they've created um, to go on every single one. So even though every property name is different and there's something different about each logo and their color scheme, there's still that continuity across it all. And so I think Mm -hmm. once you find what your brand is and just keeping it consistent on everything is, is really important so that you have that longevity of recognition.
0: Yeah, consistency is, that's I mean, a great great. Point. whether you're developing a new park yeah. or you're purchasing one that's old, like I know I know we're, we have a client uh, that we just started talking to that, that uh, purchased a Jellystone and then immediately dropped the Jellystone, and then they're going to plan on changing the name of that park later uh, in the fall. And so making sure that, yes, you can take your time on that branding, but when you're switching a name or changing it or, or re, you know reformatting who you're trying to attract or whatever it is, that you make sure that. All of that is consistent across all your channels and it takes time and it takes effort mm-hmm. to all that stuff, but uh, you have to be there in the mind of the consumer and they have to know what you offer. All right, so we talked about, we've got marketing up to the point of opening, right? We've got, all right, so let's say our, we've developed our park, it's open, uh, it's phase one. How do we determine whether we're sticking with phase two or whether we're adjusting phase two, or whether we're adding a phase three, or what, what kind of goes into that process, Bob?
1: Well, I think that's always, It's. I think it's a given. You have to go, because if you stop at phase one, then you're going to have some, some money uh, payback issues. You're going to have to continue to go through. For us, it was, we were phased out. Originally, we wanted to build everything all at once. And, mm-hmm. and luckily, we didn't. That would probably run into more troubles than, the, than we could have handled so during the phases just you pick a certain amount that you can get done that winter and then because you want to be open for summer you don't want to be running in late into july trying to finish up sites so it's just try not to pick off more than you can chew but i think you're always going to be going through those phases eventually i, I think so once, that's an, oh i'm sorry jeff no go ahead i was just gonna say as long as you have to, you just because once you get going, then it's sort of cash flow. It's like, what, what do you need? When you need those sites, mm-hmm. yeah, you're full. Because you're always full July and August, and you're always full on the weekends. So it, it's, it's, sometimes it's hard to justify when you're only 60% full midweek, but the weekends are full, do you need those extra sites? But yeah, you do. Because the more sites you have, the more people will come. That, it's, just, it's just a weird anomaly, but it, it happens. So you always have those percentages that hover the same, no matter how many sites you have. So. Mm-hmm.
2: You're always full in July and August if you live in Canada. that's wow. true. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay, you're, you're, you're full of December January. Um, but I, I think I think that question mm-hmm. is not that is not an easy answer because I think no. you know it's it's an ownership horizon question,
1: mm-hmm.
2: right? Yep. You know what what are the goals of the ownership? If it's a hold for three to five years, it's different than if it's a hold for five to ten. It's different if it's a legacy asset. Mm-hmm. it's different if it's in an opportunity zone it's different if it's a refi you know situation you know do they want to get their money back or do they want to you know reinvest or you know and so those things are are always going to drive the answer to that question of what happens in phase 1 and phase 2 you know right. it you mentioned cash flow so some of that depends on cash flow some of it depends on the capital some some of it depends on the sources of funding um equity so so it it isn't an easy answer um i think it really depends on on what you know the ownership profile is of each um you know each park and i think Coachella is a great example for us you know we we i mean we're we're definitely you know if you typically ownership which jeff and i, I assume you're probably the same way as when you're building a pro forma you're looking at a cost per site as kind of your uh-huh. your model right 20,000 a site 30,000 mm-hmm. a site wherever you end up for your total budget um yeah. and and you know, I'm embarrassed to say our, our one of our properties right now is at about one hundred and five thousand a site. Um, uh, this one's with a huge lake amenity set and, and you know, Coachella was not that high, um, but it had started to escalate every time we started adding amenities. We wanted to do a massive food and beverage project. We wanted to do a big concert program with an amphitheater by the lakes. And um, so we we did a Coachella light, you know, which is oh, now only yeah. paltry seventy thousand dollars per site budget. <laughs> um and decided to do a phase two you know about 12 to 18 months post opening depending on you know what ramp looks like you know in mm-hmm. essence and, and how successful we are you know with our ramp um but that's very different than the other one that we're doing that we're spending it all up front um you know it's very similar ownership group um, but just different profiles so i know that's a long answer to a not easy answerable question uh yeah because it's in, and it depends. Yeah, I guess
1: I'm looking at it from sort of a smaller ownership, and and for us, because right. for us, your upfront costs are in the first phase, like all your infrastructure. You Second phase, right. it, it actually just gets cheaper, but it, it it's the same. So for us, we always had to keep moving forward. Otherwise, mm-hmm. you you you, almost, you have to just keep pacing forward. It's just like raising rates, you have to raise your rates. You have to keep going. If you stop, everything stops. So for me, that's why it was always just keep going. Yep. Maybe not as big as we wanted, maybe phase two is smaller, but we're still doing something.
0: So Jeff, when you're when you're out there consulting for these parks, uh, like you said, mostly I'm assuming smaller mom and pops, like you were saying, uh, when you're consulting and giving them the, the breadth and the, the huge amount of knowledge that you have, what's the, what's the one thing that you guys sometimes or you will get stuck on with them, like you recommend to them and you kind of wish they would really adopt and listen to you on, but there's more pushback than you expected?
1: Um a lot of it's like so renos like existing parks, they don't it's it's hard for them to justify the cost of doing a big reno or change making some you know deleting some sites so you can make some sites bigger. That a lot of people well we don't really get that sort of traffic. That I mean that's been a that's been a, a thing for a year since I've been in the RV industry. Why would I build those sites? We don't get those those size RVs, we don't get that clientele. And it's like, well, but you don't have them because you, you don't have, have sites no sites. That. that's why you don't have that clientele and yeah. you'd be amazed at what what is out there that you that you don't know so mm-hmm. there's that not much everybody that that everybody's really ramping up with the industry i think people are really mm-hmm. excited with like new owners when they're buying old parks they're excited they see the they see the potential in the RV industry and they're getting really excited so i'm not seeing a lot i mean it's just dollars and cents it's like yes i know Jeff, you're telling me I need to build these or do these cabins or stuff, but I just don't have the money. So but as long as they're willing to work towards that, I think that's that's the key. Keep it in the back of your mind, in your back pocket, in the future plans, this is where you want to go. This is the direction. So anything you do now is heading in the direction of of, of where you need to be later.
0: How about you, Mike? If you're taking something to your to your ownership group or for your partners, uh, is there something that like, obviously, data, right? We've talked about that tremendously. Yeah. Discounting and detaching the data for a second. Is there something that <laughs> you feel like... You yeah,
2: I'll say better? with ownership, the answer is no. They they have been supportive of everything we have done. I, but I, I'll answer the question in terms of what about the industry, right? What What is the industry kind of stuck on? And right. w- what I have found is the revenue management component. You know, we've always priced this way for years, right? So when we first came in... You know, we were talking about seasonal pricing, right? And hey, we should have a, you know this price for first quarter and this price for second quarter. And maybe we price a little bit different for October. And then and you know, we heard from multiple people. Oh, the guests will never go for that. They're used to pricing once in October and then for the whole year. And, and you know, we really combated that. Um, you know, and and I think you know if we look at our our ramp from year one to year two, certainly we've had an occupancy growth, but our ADR is up about forty fifty percent. Um, some of that is, is catching up from ramp, but some of that is really adjusting on the fly. So that was, I think a lot of the pushback that we heard originally was, you know, Oh, you can't, you know, rate, 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 you know, people are going to fight it. They won't stay with you. Um, you know, and you can't change it. The industry is very set in their ways. So I think that's, that's what we heard quite a bit of time, but, and that's depends on who you talk to, right? A lot of the influencers, which are more Contemporary type travelers, you know, who are much more up with the times, they're very flexible, nimble. There's a different mm-hmm. word for you, Jeff. Than pivot is nimble. Nimble, um, yeah. Um, sure. uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, uh, as opposed to again, Mom and Sally, Joe, RV owner, park manager. Um, I think it's it's just a different demographic that that we run into of of who we're approaching and dealing with. So so that's I think the, you know, that same thing of evolving the industry of the modern world. That's that's where we run into to speed bumps and hurdles. Um, and it sounds like Jeff, that's what he's trying to educate folks on as well. Um, mm-hmm. It's the same concept, just in a little bit different story. Um, yeah. So I, I think uh, as long as the industry can continue to evolve, and it sounds like it is, it just depends on different levels and perspective of where you are in your journey or your, your size of your property or your complexity. Um, you know, the industry is very healthy. Uh, mm-hmm. so it's exciting.
3: So, online
1: booking. I, I would say the online booking was always the toughest push, and people are really seeing it. But the little parts, That's it's hard for them justify. I don't need to do it. I only got, you know, 30 sites, like or 40 sites, like a imagine. But when you get them to do that, and then they call you, like, at the end of the season, that was amazing. Or when they, yeah. you know, they start getting bookings in February and they're getting paid mm-hmm. for it, and they're like, oh, this yeah. it's great. I've never had that before. And they've got a little cash flow in the spring. They're always amazed by that. But people are really onto that now, too. That's not even much of a push.
3: You took the words out of my mouth, Jeff. I couldn't agree more. When I talk with campground owners, that's the biggest hurdle and barrier I've I've come across too. It's they don't want to list inventory. I feel like there's concern about this perception of losing control over, you know, who's staying in their, in which sites in their park and things like that. Um, But then also, you know, charging fees and stuff like that. There's very resistant to that. Um, I'm, I'm, I do shift, it's starting to transition, but uh, mm-hmm. so I look forward to the days where that's less of a hurdle, but. Uh,
1: I mean, they're, we're not wrong, I mean, Mike's not wrong either. You're not, people will grumble and people don't like it and yeah. but they'll still come and they'll still pay. And that's the thing, right? They will, you know, they will pay the lock fee. They might not like it because they've never had to do it before, but they will this year and yeah, sure. Everybody likes to grumble, that's what it's
2: for. Well, it comes with educating, right? Yep. We need to educate the consumer. Um, mm-hmm. and make it easy for them. And now, uh, you know, we're, it's interesting, we're finding that same transition now in the RV storage world, um, yeah, you know, that. the online, online booking um, and, you know, people don't want to show their inventory and, and it's so antiquated, like they have to call mm-hmm. up and of course mm-hmm. they can't get anybody on the phone. And, mm-hmm. you know, so it's, it's now we're transitioning some of those things, you know, into the RV storage world too, which is just, it's, yeah. it's such a parallel, uh, which is just funny. Uh, I think it's,
3: yeah.
2: it's it's
1: even more important for the small operators to have online booking. Like when you're a exactly. mom and pop, and your phone's ringing at nine o'clock, eleven, are you going to answer it? No. Well, then, then you just you just probably lost a customer. So it's yeah. it's so it gives you a break because the weird thing is, is all our bookings came in the middle of the night, eleven o'clock at night, midnight. It's, yeah. It's like why are I would people argue... sleeping book booking their campground?
3: Yeah, I think consumers, again, this shifting market demographic stuff. I know for me, like I, I I'm happy to pay a online booking fee for the convenience uh, for maybe um, I typically have the conception that, you know, my credit card transaction is secure and and those kinds of things. Um, and, you know, I understand that um, I have to pay a fee to access those Things. The level of convenience, the ability to to access that in itself is is going to cost me some money. So I think as our market demographics continue to shift, there will be less and less resistance from consumers to pay those fees.
1: I know a park that would charge eight dollars if you did it over the phone. He charged he would charge you eight dollar booking fee if he, if you did it manually over the phone, and he said it right on his website: book here or it's eight dollars extra. Yes,
3: yeah. crazy. Well, uh, it's. I mean, it's a ton of front desk staff time on the phone. It's. It, it's a very expensive resource-wise. I don't blame them one bit.
2: Well, <laughs> no, but that's also as the demographic shifts, as we talked about too. You know, you have those certain age group. That just yep. doesn't feel comfortable booking and it's going to call the park and needs to talk to yep. someone and has to walk you through bet. the size of the site. And, and, mm-hmm. and so, you know, find that. But I'm mean, one of the things that we did is we looked at the analytics of the, you know, call volume, because when I first joined the industry, it like you cannot get through to anybody. Like we're yep. trying to do price shops at all of our competitors and nobody were picking up their phone. Yep. And so we started looking at our call data. And you know, there was one month that we had three thousand calls, and we did not answer seventy percent of those three thousand calls. Yeah, seventy percent. And so we said, well, and we said, how much business, you know, are we losing, you know? And then we, you know, calculated thirty percent, you know, lost reservation, and so we ended up hiring a reservationist, um, you know, who can pick up the phone, and our lost call volume went down to forty percent. You know, so we cut it in half, and you know, I think that coincides with revenue increase. And so it's well, that sure. same thing of how can we make the booking as easy for the customer, whether it's online or offline, <laughs> uh, yep. I guess.
0: All right, we'll run totally. a little bit over here, everybody, but uh, let's wrap it up with one thing here. Let's just kind of go around in, a, in one by one and just say, uh, if we're talking to somebody who's developing an RV park, considering getting into the business, already has broken ground, whatever phase they're in, what's one thing that you would say to them that they should absolutely pay attention to, not forget, not skip over, not miss, not consider, whatever.
1: I would just say exactly what you just said. Get a plan, get a good plan and stick to that plan. Really, I mean, and that doesn't mean closed mindedness but really just stick to that plan that you had. Try not to, you know, don't cut the corners. Just do it right, do it right the first time. Don't come back and fix it later because it'll cost you more.
3: Yeah.
2: My answer would be call Jeff Kirkman.
3: (laughs) Yeah, that's what I was going to say. I was going to say find a pro, uh, find somebody who knows what what they're doing, uh, work with a consultant team. Uh, That stuff is going to be really valuable. Someone who's experienced in the industry, but also has knowledge about, you know, your municipality code and requirements, um, you know, a little bit of construction background doesn't hurt some civil engineering background is probably really valuable. Um, mm-hmm. So, yeah, find, find somebody who, who uh, can help you, even if that's, you know, reaching out to your association for help to connect you.
2: Angela? And my answer was going to be identical to Jeff's, which is measure twice, cut once, right? Mm-hmm. Design it right up front, you know, get all your, your drawings, your architectural, your print, like do it all up front the correct way and get your plans correct. So that, you know, you go into it with the best, best foot forward. Mm
4: -hmm. (laughs) Sorry guys. Um, I just echo kind of what everybody else has said, you know, making sure you have a plan in place, making sure that you have the right resources, whether that's, um, you know, your what what you're re or what you're using to research or who you're talking to. Um, And I think not being afraid to ask other uh, like current owners, if they Mm -hmm. own similar parks and you, whether they're in your area or not, and just asking them, you know, what some of their experiences have been, in developing their park and running their park um generally speaking it's a pretty friendly industry even if you, mm-hmm. someone that's down the road from you a lot of times they're not afraid to uh, you know share some tips and things like that um, there's a a special like level of camaraderie in the industry i feel like between, among most owners yeah. so totally agree. Yeah. i think it's a good untapped resource for a lot of people
1: mm-hmm.
0: yeah. I would just say from my perspective, don't be afraid to spend. And that echoes a little bit about hiring consultants and experts and all those kinds of things. But from a marketing standpoint too, but understand that if you're willing to spend, then you also are able then to demand more of the people that you're spending with. Have enough of a knowledge to say that, okay, if I'm going to give you the money that you're asking for, because you're more expensive than other people then I expect results, I expect reports, I expect data, I expect Mm -hmm. for you to prove that my money is actually working the way you say it's going to work.
3: Yeah. Deliver.
0: Yep. All right. Well, thank you everybody for joining us. Anything I missed, Kara? Do mm. we need cover? Or?
3: No, I think it was great. Always happy to chat with you guys. You're all a wealth of information.
0: All right. Well, thank you, Jeff. Thank you, Mike. Thank you, Angela. Kara, as always, uh, we will see you next week. Yeah.
2: All right. Take care. Have a great
3: day, guys.